0: here before us in the Blessed Sacrament. We can use tonight to pray for many things, and perhaps to start to continue to pray for peace, peace especially in the Holy Land, that land, Lord, that was so dear to you, where you lived that earthly life of yours, a life just like ours, where you worked and where you taught and where you performed miracles and where you had your family and your friends and your passion and your death and your resurrection, where you formed us, the church. And to pray to our Lord for peace is to do something real and serious. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And St. Paul says very clearly, he says, he is our peace. Christ is our peace. He has broken down the dividing wall among us. And so to pray is not to do nothing. It's to do something very powerful, to invoke the power of God, the mercy of God. Christ who reconciles us with God and men with one another. And then, Lord, we ask you even more that we be sowers of peace and joy in the phrase of St. Josemaria, that we be agents of peace because we're united to you and therefore we can be channels of your mercy to the world, channels of reconciliation with God and therefore also reconciliation between men. Saint Josemaria would famously write in the way that these world crises are crises of saints. The big problems in the world have their true solution in sanctity, in nearness to God and a participation in God's life. Union with Christ and therefore union with the power of God. These world crises are crises of Saints. And so it's the saints, it's those who open their life to God and who make God's will the top priority in their life who are the real source of the real solutions. And so we might not be fighting or brokering peace or at the big tables in the big rooms making the big decisions. But in God's providence, behind the scenes, the undercurrent of grace and inspiration, what reestablishes harmony, goodwill, justice, order, peace, are the saints, is God. It's God's access to the world through the church, through the church alive, the living church, the church that runs with God's word, that responds to God's word. Lord, we want to be part of that undercurrent. We want to be part of the solution. These world crises are crises of saints, saints, And this month, we celebrated two anniversaries that remind us of this call, this call to holiness, that you and I are called not just to be kind of mediocre Christians or okay Christians, but saints, Christians through and through, Christ-like. October 2nd, we celebrated the 95th anniversary, the founding of Opus Dei, when St. Josemaria saw that call and Heard that call from God to spread the universal call to holiness and to found an institution in the church which would try to live that and try to help others live it. In the middle of the world, holiness, nearness to God, a real prayer life, but live day in and day out through ordinary work, ordinary activities, engagement with the world. On October 6th, we celebrated the 21st anniversary of the canonization of St. Maria. The church recognized his holiness and thereby endorsed the spirit of the work as a path to holiness, the spirit of Opus Dei. And that's a great thing for us, Lord, in these times, but always to be reminded of by you that you want me to be holier. You want me to grow in charity above all. You want me to be more Christ-like, more like you. St. Paul writes it to the Thessalonians, right? This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you grow in holiness. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but when when I think about the call to holiness, my first reaction is fear. Well, I don't know what that's going to be like, that would be a lot of virtue or a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering, a lot of letting go of what I tend to depend on for my happiness or my pleasure, or my rest. Or it could be a certain skepticism or doubt. And like me, a saint, well, good luck with that. Um, I could barely balance my bank account, right, let alone become a saint. Who, me? But if we look at it with faith, faith, that this is true, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, well then instead of fear or cynicism or skepticism, our response should be confidence, confidence. If God wants me to grow in holiness, if God, if you, Lord, are helping me to grow in holiness, well then I can grow in holiness. And a little bit we have to make sure we stay in reality, in the reality of the process, right? This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. That you grow in holiness. And sometimes I think we think of holiness, we think of the end product. It's like, oh, me versus, you know, John of the Cross. Well, it's like the Patriots against the Bills this weekend. You know, it's not going not gonna to happen, you know? But no, the will of God for us is that, is that next step. Because God is in reality. What's the next step for me in charity? What's the next step for me in being like Christ? What's that next resolution or two right now that God wants to help me take? And that's God's will for me. And God's will will be done. God's will is all powerful. If you get to heaven, you'll be a saint. Whether you have to go through purgatory or not is another question. But anyone who gets to heaven is sanctified. It has been through a process of holiness. Salvation and holiness are the same thing in the end. So the only way, really, not to be holy in the end is to resist God's will kind of permanently, right? To be a sinner and be an unrepentant sinner. That's how you go to hell. Other than that, God's will will be done, right? Thy will be done. And this is God's will for you, your sanctification. And so Lord, I don't want to be dragged to heaven, just barely getting there on my own will, but I want to be on board. And so instead of skepticism or fear or doubt, we should have confidence because he's called us to holiness. We can always take the next step, no matter where we're starting from. Right? Maybe I just got out of jail. <laughs> maybe I just got over an addiction or maybe I'm still in the throes of some addictive behavior. Maybe I just sinned big time and I had it in a while. Maybe I'm doing better than I had before and I'm on a, a winning streak in the spiritual life. It doesn't matter. And we can always be confident that the next step is there. The next step is discoverable and the next step is doable because that's God's will for us, our sanctification, that we become holier and holier, no matter where we're starting. And What does that holiness look like? What is the recipe, if you will, of a life of holiness, well, a main ingredient is faith, real faith, to believe that that the whole faith is real. Revelation is true. Jesus Christ is true God and true man. God is my Father. To believe that as much as we can with all the fiber of our being. Because it wouldn't make any sense uh, you know, if, if our life is for holiness and we say, okay, I want to be holy. I want to live as God wants. But not to believe that it's real, that, it's, that this is the most real thing there is. God and God's revelation and God's care for me, God's will for me. Well, what would be the point of trying to live as he wants? Right? We'll fall back on our own judgment and our own assessment of things and the world's assessment, ass- assessment of things. So the just man, the righteous man, the man who is aligned with God lives by faith, conviction that what God has revealed is true. It's truer than anything we can sense, anything else we experience. God. And how do we grow in that? How do we grow in that? Well, Lord, in our prayer, like right now, faith is exercised by faith, by acts of faith. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches us very clearly that faith is a human act. It's a theological virtue, so the theological side means it has to do with God and God has to help us do it. We can't, we can't have faith without grace. But it's also a virtue, which means it can be exercised, it can be chosen. It's free. And so a great exercise in our prayer, in our mental prayer, is to make acts of faith, to tell God, Lord, I believe in you. I believe that you are all powerful. I believe that you are all present. I believe that you are love. I believe that you have a good plan for me. I believe in your plan for me. I believe that if I don't sin, all right, I'll be okay no matter what happens. I believe that even if I do sin, I'll be okay because I can say I'm sorry and play the role of the prodigal son and start over. I believe in your mercy. I believe, Lord, that I can grow in the ways that you want me to grow. I believe in my vocation to holiness. To make acts of faith in God's presence increases our faith. Most people have a plane-like vision, St. Josemaria wrote. Stuck to the earth of two dimensions. When you live a supernatural life, God will give you the third dimension, height, and with it perspective, weight, and volume. Volume a third dimension, a new outlook, a new sight, a new insight into reality, which is faith, right? that, that conviction that the unseen is real, and it's more real than the seen and the felt. And that faith, Lord, leads to a second ingredient, a second component of, of our holiness, which is hope. And what is hope? Hope is like trust in God Powered by faith, buoyed by faith. Hope is a supernatural optimism. And that leads to a joy, a joy that's resilient. Jesus talks about this. He says, you will see me again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And so hope is, is this joy, this optimism that we have because we know that we're heading to heaven. We know that God's going to take care of us. We know that no matter what I'm going through now, everything's going to be perfectly fine. And therefore, I'm okay right now, too. But perhaps, Lord, at times, my joy is anything but resilient, right? Uh, You say that no one will take my joy from me, but at times, almost anything can take my joy from me. Bad night's sleep, a little bit of traffic, skipping a meal, Patriot's loss. No joy in Mudville, and then we ask ourselves, well, what you know? What is my joy like? Right? How easily do I lose my good humor? How touchy am I? And that's see, that's indicative of a lack of hope. That I'm not trusting God. I'm not finding my joy in God. If you are faithful, Saint Rosemary writes in another in another passage. If you are faithful, you will be able to count yourself a conqueror. Even though you may lose some battles in your life, you will not know defeat. You can be sure that there is no such thing as failure if you act with purity of intention and with a desire to fulfill the will of God. And then whether you win or lose, you will always triumph in the end because you will have carried out your work with love. There is no such thing as failure for you. If you act with purity of intention with a desire to fulfill the will of God, and I have to admit it, and perhaps you do too. I don't know. I can't speak for you, <laughs> but I don't view failure that way and success that way, right Saint Jose Maria is saying that, look, as long as you try your best and you're trying to do it for the love of God, well it doesn't really matter the outcome humanly speaking, it doesn't matter if the world calls it a success or if your boss calls it a success or a failure or if your wife calls it a success or a failure, right? In God's eyes, which is the true scorecard, it's a success if you're trusting God, if you're trying your best, if you're trying to do it for love. And I think we've all had the experience, Lord, of being much more concerned about the human aspect to it, right? Whether it looks good, whether it makes the grade, whether right, it's pushing me up the ladder, right? Whether it's leading to some more security be much more worried about that, much more upset about that when it doesn't happen, or much more happy about that when it does happen than about this other side, right? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? Am I trusting God? And so that takes a conversion, right, to start thinking about things in terms of how God thinks about things, start evaluating success or failure, how God evaluates success and failure. Are we being humble? Are we trusting him? Are we trying to do things for love? And not so much is it working? How did it go? What do people think? Now obviously we live in the world, so those things are important. Don't you know don't fail on purpose. <laughs> we have to try our best. But where's the where's the weight, right? Where's the import? I heard a very wise man say once that love is more of an adverb than a verb. Right? We know we're made to love. Love is the great commandment, and a second is like it. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's the number one thing we're made for, we have to do. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But then we ask, well, what does that mean? What, is it, what does it mean to love? And yeah, there's loving directly. We tell someone we love them. We, you know, we give them a hug. We're loving directly towards them. But most of our life is doing other things. It's shoveling the snow in the driveway, it's going to work, it's coming home and trying to be cheerful, it's cleaning our room, our desk, it's making phone calls, Right. it's doing all these other things. And so, so love is an adverb, it's to do those things lovingly, it's to do those things well for love, to do those things well for God and for others, to serve God and others. And charity is holiness. To say we're called to holiness is to say we're called to charity because God is love. God is charity. I've told you the story before. Perhaps you've heard it. But this example, I was in Chicago a number of years ago living there. And um, Chicagoans are crazy about pizza. They're like obsessed with pizza. It's kind of like uh, New Haven. Um, or I should talk like New Jersey. Um, And like every corner in Chicago, there's a pizza place. And around Valentine's Day one year, there was a signboard outside of a pizza place. And the signboard said, what is love without pizza? And I thought, well, that's a good question, right? Because I'm very partial to pizza myself. What would a good life, can you imagine a life in which you never ate pizza? It'd be a totally different universe. But, the, but I thought about that. I was like, well, that's kind of a silly thing, right? What is love without pizza? But then if you think about it, if you're the owner of that place right, and your family depends on making pizza and selling pizza and the, the livelihood of your employees depend on making pizza and selling pizza, right? And it's how you feed your family and pay the tuitions and serve society, Well, it's like, well, what is love without work? What is love without our daily work? Whether in the home or with our friends or favors we do or in our job. What would our life be without our work? And so, Lord, if I'm going to love you with everything I have, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, well, I have to love you with my activity to do things lovingly. Before God, in God's sight, No occupation is in itself great or small. Everything gains the value of the love with which it is done. Let me stress this point. It is in the simplicity of your ordinary work in the monotonous details of each day that you have to find the secret which is hidden from so many of something great and new, love. And how do we know if we're loving? Well, St. Josemaria gave us another hint, a great clue. He said, Sacrifice is the touchstone of love. Right? A touchstone is like a litmus test. Right? Sacrifice is the Geiger counter of love. If, we, if we're sacrificing for others, if we're loving when it's difficult, when it's not easy, when it's not pleasing, immediately pleasing or satisfying to us, well, we know that our love is pure. We know that our love is truer. On the other hand, Lord, if I only love, if I'm only cheerful and and... I live a spirit of service and help people when I like it or they like it or it's being seen and it's pleasant. Well, then it's very hard to distinguish those acts of love from forms of egoism or self-centeredness, self-seeking. And so if the will of God for me is my sanctification, which it is, Lord, you want me to be holy, you're calling me to be holy. Well, that includes hard realities, right, of commitment and Self-denial, patience with others in our life who we're are committed to and they're difficult to live with or difficult to forgive or difficult to work with or difficult to be with. An acceptance of our own personal difficult moments when something goes wrong in our profession or emotionally we get out of whack or we sin in a way that we weren't expecting. We're tempted to despair or give up. Crises of health or faith, whatever. Right? that's when we re- that's when we realize if our love is true or not. Right, when we love anyway, when it's hard, when it's difficult, when there's nothing immediately in it for us. This is to love, Lord, as you love. Love one another as I have loved you. And you and you know this, uh, you know. There are marriages that are difficult and there are marriages that are difficult. They're all difficult. But some are more difficult than others. Father Dick Riemann used to say, you know, marriage takes a lot of hanging in there. And any vocation takes a lot of hanging in there. right?" Jesus says it himself, right? If you will be my disciple, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a Christian, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. At the cross is the touchstone of love. And how do we do all of this? Well, uh, there's a, there's a hint in the word, in the title, in the uh, name of Opus Dei, or Opus Dei, God's work. And so, if if charity and hope and faith are the kind of life of holiness, well, they're all they're all actions of grace. Right? They're all actions of God. Our sanctification is something that God wants and it's something that God does even more than we do. We just have to get on his, on his page, remove obstacle obstacles, get out of his way, right? Let him do his thing. Second his motions. And because grace is so primary, because God's action is so primary, well, our action, our primary action has to be to get grace, right? To put ourselves in God's presence and to get what we need to live this life that is his life. And where do we get grace? Well, primarily from prayer and the sacraments. Where we meet God and God's grace primarily in prayer and the sacraments. And this is why St. Josemaría was so insistent when he taught people about the universal call to holiness, he taught them almost, in the majority of things he talking about, is live a life of prayer. First, prayer. Then atonement. In the third place, very much in the third place, Action. And he would say this over and over and over again. He would say, "Put the norms first, right? The norms of your plan of life, the norms of piety, those acts of piety that make up your spiritual plan of life: mental prayer, daily mass and communion, the Angelus, the Rosary, examinations of conscience, morning offering, right? Those norms of piety in our plan of life put us in touch with God. Weekly confession, or couple, you know, at least once a month, spiritual direction." Their, their access is to grace. And without grace, none of this works. Right? We can't make ourselves holy. We can't make ourselves good. And so we would say, put the norms first. Put them in the first place. Right? Let other things slide. And people would go and visit him in Rome. And you know, they, they, they loved him and they loved what he was doing. And they would ask him, Father, what can we do for you? How can we help you? What can, what can we do for you? And St. Maria would say, do the norms well for me. Right? You want to make me happy? You want to help me? Take care of your plan of life. Do your prayer. Put them in first place. And this is hard. It's hard because it's like that Stephen Covey classification. right? The norms or our, our prayer life kind of falls into a category that's very tricky, which is important but not urgent. right? It's very important but doesn't seem urgent. Why? Because if you don't do your rosary one day, it's not like you're not going to have anything to eat that night. Or if, you don't, you know, if you skip your mental prayer for a week, it's not like you're going to lose your job or your wife's going to leave you or your kid's not going to get to college, right? You know, there's no, or you're going to get cancer. Right? There's no immediate like, punishment or negative result from blowing off your norms, right? skipping your prayer. And so because of that, it doesn't seem urgent to us. And we know theoretically, yeah, it's kind of important. Yeah, God's important. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I should. And we know it. We say, yeah, I should pray more, and I should do it first, and I should put more attention to it. But it's not that important. It's not urgent. And so to take our call to holiness seriously is to take the primacy of God and grace seriously, and that's to take the plan of life very seriously and say, no, I need this. This has to be urgent to me. And therefore, I'm committed to it. And of course, like anything else, there's going to be days and days, and sometimes, okay, fine. We, again, we are where we are. We take the next step. But if we don't shoot for that, well, it's not going to work, right? We'll end up being worldly, and we won't help the world be Christian. St. Josemarie would say that very clearly. That unless we're contemplatives, we won't sanctify the world. The world will make us worldly. It will be like everyone else. St. John Paul II said the same thing 23 years ago as the, as the new millennium began. It would be wrong to think, this is St. John Paul II, it would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow prayer that is unable to fill their whole life, especially in the face of the many trials to which today's world subjects faith. They would not only be mediocre Christians, but Christians at risk, They would run the insidious risk of seeing their faith progressively undermined and would perhaps end up succumbing to the allure of substitutes, accepting alternative religious proposals and even indulging in far-fetched superstitions. It is therefore essential that education and prayer should become in some way a key point of all pastoral planning. Because of secularization and because Christendom is dead, Right? And because the culture is no longer primarily Christian, and less and less people are baptized, they don't have access to the sacraments, and they're not well catechized. Well, the Christians that remain, right, the Catholics that remain, unless we really believe, and therefore really pray, St. John Paul II says, you won't just be a mediocre Christian, you'll lose your faith. You'll have substitutes for faith. And sometimes in our day and age, this is tricky because the substitutes can seem very Catholic and very religious and very holy, but they're still substitutes for faith, right? And if you're, if you're on Facebook, as I am too much, right, you see all these posts about, okay, you know, uh, Sister Hermelda of the, the mystic Sister Hermelda of the bloody head of John the Baptist in Peru says that Jesus says that the Pope is not the Pope and the world's going to end in 30 days, so buy some vegetable soup, like that's going to help you if the world ends. Right? And everyone's like, what should I do? What should I believe? And, you know, in times of uncertainty, everyone wants certainty. It's like, well, she seems pretty confident. But it's not faith. Right? Faith is the Bible, it's Jesus, it's faith in the church, it's faith in my ability to to love people in my life right now, and not, faith is not a rabbit hole of mystics talking about the end of the world, and if you like that thing, I don't mean to be critical, but I kind of do, okay, anyway. Right, faith in our Lord, faith in the church, faith in the sacraments, St. Marie would say we have all the means necessary to be holy, the cross, the Bible, the sacraments, and because the times are uncertain, we get caught up and we try to figure everything out. Well, we figured enough out. These world crises are crises of saints. And to be a saint, we need prayer, real prayer. And charity, right? real charity, do things lovingly. And apostolate, right? Not being afraid to share our faith, not being afraid to be friends with people are different, or hurting. The world needs the real deal, the real thing. And I, I get it. I mean, eventually someone's going to be right about the end of the world, right? It's just the law of probability. So I don't know. Maybe some of these people are right. But if the world, if the world ends, it's Jesus coming. St. Augustine says, we should be happy that Jesus is coming. If we're afraid of the end of the world, it's because we love our sins more than we love Jesus. St. Augustine, incredible line. So what's going to make us ready? Well, this, right? I love you, Lord. Help me, Lord. We go to Our Lady, Queen of All Saints, pray for us. Help us to believe as you did in the promises and the words that God spoke to you. This is the will of God for us, our sanctification. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.